0: Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday Morning Podcast. Today, Pastor Johnson references Miguel de Cervantes' book, Don Quixote, in a standalone message to end the month of January. With today's sermon entitled Idealism, here is Pastor Rex Johnson. to speak to you on idealism. God bless you. You may be seated. It's going to be kind of a wrap of what we have talked about. Thanks to the praise team. Thank you, Brother Ricardo for coming and being with us. Idealism is the practice of forming or pursuing ideals, especially unrealistically compared to realism. It's any of various systems of thought in which the object of knowledge are held to be in some way dependent on the activity of the mind. Often, contrasted with realism it's from a Greek word I-D-E-I-N which means to see it's to see things that other people do not see when you see idealistically you are bullish you're optimistic, you're hopeful you're confident you hitch one's wagon to a star you aim high, you have high ideals you look through what we call rose colored glasses you're cheerfully, cheerfully optimistic about life As 20th century British scientist Sir James Jeans wrote one time, he said, Really, idealistic people see the universe, it begins to look more like a great thought than a great machine. And it was, it was a logos of God. I read a a story one time about a man named Don Quixote. Cervantes wrote the book, it was a classic novel about an old man who decides to become a knight and live a life of chivalry. Cervantes wrote that book in the 17th century or in the 1600s. It was a century after the knights were dead and the age of chivalry was forgotten. It is read as a satire but can be seen as an allegory and has remained a popular story for over 300 years The American literature scene. Quixote is a gentleman with a great deal of leisure time on his hands. He's an older man. He sits around the house all day reading about knights and the romantic tales about the Middle Ages and the time of chivalry and gallantry. And he decides, since he has nothing else to do, (laughs) that he will become a knight himself. He'll just become a knight. The only problem is, Mr. Quixote, is the world has changed. And knights are a forgotten era. They're no longer a part and parcel of what we call the now. Now his quest for honor and valor meets resistance and ridicule ended in a series of mishaps and and even schemes devised by people to embarrass and humiliate him. From him, from Quixote, we get the words tilting at windmills. It's an English idiom which means attacking imaginary enemies. He thought windmills one day were giants, and he asked his servant to go, so let's go conquer these giants. And the servant said, Sir, these are not giants. They're giant windmills. They turn as the wind blows, and they turn the mill that grinds the corn that causes us to have food. We cannot destroy windmills. They're not giants. Because of the novel, Don Quixote, we have the word in the English language called quixotic, which means a naive and unusually idealistic, out-of-touch-with-the-real-world person. They have impractical vision. It's not a compliment to call somebody quixotic. It means you're out of touch. It means you're irrelevant. It means you're eccentric. It means you're probably a little bit crazy. But as somebody liked that, didn't they? <laughs> but as my dad told me a long time ago, every story, son, has two sides, and you got to cook an egg on both sides. Let me suggest another way of looking at Don Quixote. This is from a Spanish philosopher named Miguel de Unamuno. Unamuno suggested that Quixote represented, what's this now, the person of faith in the modern world. The Middle Ages were not only a time of nights, it was also called, you ready for this, the age of faith. The age when Christendom went on crusades and converted people in all the known world. It was the time when Jesus was preached and Christ was received in people's lives. But by the time Cervantes, in the 17th century, a hundred years later, the world was emerging into what we called a modern world, a world of science, a world of reason, a world determined by principles of reason and hypothesis. In fact, at almost the same time that Cervantes wrote and published his novel, which was in 1605, the second published was in 1615. Galileo, the scientist, was looking through his telescope and discovering what Copernicus, a man that loved his God, said was right that the earth was not the center of the universe, but rotated around the sun. Isn't it amazing that a Christian man found it before a scientist found it? I find that interesting. That's why you can mark the end of the age of faith when science took over and the end of culture dominated by Christianity. And from that point on in history, to be a Christian, stay with me now, a person of faith in the minds of many people was like to be Don Quixote. You were looked on as ridiculous. In fact, there's a word that came out of that time called anachronism. It means simply dwelling in a world that no longer exists. Believe irrational things, even absurd things, with dreams that can never be fulfilled. You're hopelessly naive to what's going on in the real world. In fact, years ago, Ted Turner, a multi-billionaire, made a statement that became notorious for him. He he said he disliked Christianity because it was a religion of losers. However, it's amazing that that year in the National League final, in the, before the World Series against the National League team, his team lost to some, a team named after Christian missionaries. They lost to the Padres. I thought that was neat. <laughs> but apart from that irony, he was right. Christianity, folks, is based on an impossible dream. It really is a vision of what this world should be, a world when every person born will find the fulfillment of their life that God intended for them, and a vision where men and women will live for the highest that there is to live for in life. That is the dream. It's called idealism. Unamanu was a devout Catholic, and he compared Don Quixote to the saints of the church who held to the dream that comes to us from the prophets of old. He said, What characterized the saint is, and here it is this ins- intolerable disparity between the hugeness of their desire and the smallness of reality. I'm going to say it again. It's the intolerable disparity between the hugeness of their desire and the smallness of their reality. What a phrase. To live with this huge desire, this dream, a dream the world calls impossible. In a finite, limited, and sinful world means that you're going to experience defeat, folks, many times, many times over and over again. You may even be labeled as a loser because you refuse to compromise your ideals and your dreams. You refuse to be realistic. You refuse to change your dream or discard it in order to settle for less in this present world. Oh, I feel this. It's especially difficult in a time when success is defined as adapting your dream to the smallness of this world because the world is a small place compared to the dreams that God can give us. See, Quixote wouldn't do that. The saints won't do that. And our Lord didn't do that. Jesus was killed because he would not compromise his dream. The dream, folks, of the kingdom of God He taught us, what does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Which I take to mean the essence of us, that which makes us truly human. What we call the soul is that which leads us to dreams and divisions and pulls on us to something that is greater than ourselves. And Jesus said the fulfillment of life is living for something that's greater than anything you can find on this earth. That's why it's called the impossible dream. And in the the Broadway play, the man from La Mancha, the man of La Mancha, the impossible dream is the closing song. I have two texts this morning. First, I want you to look at a passage from the book of Acts. It's the first Christian sermon, or can I call it the first Holy Ghost sermon? Say amen to that ever preached. It's the charter sermon of the church. You could say it was at Pentecost and many people know what happened at Pentecost. 120 people went and tarried for 10 days and the Holy Spirit fell, came like a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared on them cloven tongues, like as a fire and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Say amen to that and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. It's the birthplace of the church. But Peter, Peter is explaining what happened to the disciples that day. He explains their behavior by quoting the prophet Joel. He said, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Say it, shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Hallelujah. The reason he says, that these people are so alive, the reason that they behave the way they do is that they have received this extravagant gift from the Father above. And they have received some unbelievable news from him that not only would he fill them, but he would be with them always, even to the end of the world. They have received the Spirit from another world that does not compute to the spirit of this world. Because of this spirit from another world, there can be a new heaven. There can be a new earth. Now, I'm not talking about something that looks like that. I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about the heaven over yonder. I'm talking about how you view the heavenlies and how you view this earth. See, we're living in a day when the world tries to rule the church instead of the church being on top of the world. Oh, let me preach now. And the world can shrink our dreams and shrink our visions and cause us to be little pushings against the great gulliver of this world. But Almighty God has asked me to preach today and tell you that there is a spirit that has endued the church of the living God, that it will never succumb. It'll never shrink. It'll never be a shrinking violet. It'll never go away. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against that church. I don't care how tough the world gets. The church is still going to rise up. It's still going to be holy. It's still going to be God's church. God can give us a new heaven. He can give us a new earth. And from that point on, from Pentecost on, the mission of the church has been, are you ready to give young people a vision? of what this world can be and of who they can be. Young person, I want you to hear me. You're not gonna be turned by something the world has. You're gonna follow the grace of God the rest of your life because God's gonna give you a vision of what the world can be through him and what you can be through him in this world. And the second thing, and to keep old people dreaming, not to let them get discouraged about their dreams. We had two octogenarian couples in the first service and I clapped for both of them. We clapped for them real big for them today because I love old people that are still cool. I love old people that are still cool. It bothers me when old people get bitter, but I love old people that are still cool and they still say God is good. Because when you see them walk in or roll in in a wheelchair and they got their little hand lifted, you can say, you know what, if they can live for God that long, I as a young person with all my strength and all my vigor and all my vitality, I can live for God right now. Come on now. We need old people to say, come on, come on kids, you can do it. And we need young people to say, I know I can. Oh, I feel like preaching right now. You know what the reaction of the world was to the first Christians? They said, in Acts chapter 2, you can read this. What's come over these people? Are these not all Galileans? Huh? Now, when you said Galileans, you said loser. When you said Galileans, you said uneducated. When you said Galileans, you said bumpkins. When you said Galileans, you said Archie Bunkers. When you said Galileans, you said Green Acres. When you said Galileans, you said the dumbest of the dumb of the world. And they, the crowd said that when they saw the disciples, they asked this because they were not acting like Galileans this day. Galileans were labeled as bumpkins or worse still, Fishermen. And these people didn't seem to know their place. They were here in Jerusalem, this cosmopolitan city. And there were people from all over the world in Jerusalem. It's a sophisticated city. And here are these Galileans holding their own. You know what was happening? I'll tell you what was happening. When they poured out of the upper room speaking in those tongues, you know what it was? See, at at, at Baal, the Tower of uh, of Babel, tongues were dispersed and everybody couldn't understand each other. But at Pentecost, tongues were reunited. And those dumb Galileans come out of the upper room speaking languages of all 17 nationalities that were there from all those countries. They spoke the language of that person. See, they was talking to educated people that knew how to subjugate a verb and do all that stuff. And here they were coming out of the upper room. They were ignorant, unlearned, and they were saying, hey, how you doing? You know, Jesus is the real deal, you know. And they were talking the language of 17 nationalities. I'm here to tell you, when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of a church, When the spirit of God gets a hold of a church, we're gonna be able to talk the language of everybody that walks in this house because there's nothing like the power of the Holy Ghost to get a hold of your life, to get a hold of your spirit, to change everything that we are because Jesus Christ knows what a spirit-filled church can do. I love this, the Bible said they talked to the Jews and the proselyted ones. They even had a language of proselytes, people that were proselyted to be Jews. They talked in every language, and they couldn't understand it. In fact, they were speaking eloquently. They've caught the people's attention. People are listening to them. I imagine that they retained their accent and their inadequate grammar. That's why they were recognized. But now people are listening to them. Why is it, they asked Peter, why can they speak with such power? And the answer is they have been touched by a power of who we can be and what the world can be. They have been transformed by a spirit from another world. Oh, hallelujah. Can I just throw down right now just a little bit? Just about two seconds. Can I just say something? I'm so glad that there's still Holy Spirit churches in this world today. Somebody get on your feet and clap your hands. I'm so glad that we can sing like we sing. We can preach like we preach. We haven't lost our mind because the Holy Ghost is still alive in this world. Come on, clap your hands all over the house. Spirit-filled churches will still rule in the last day. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Amen. 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 Now, I'm a Spurs fan, okay? I'm a Spurs fan. I enjoy Spurs. They got killed last night. They're missing Duncan. They got killed last night. And when I saw them lose last night, I didn't have a lot to cheer about because I watched every dribble. Your pastor enjoys the Spurs. I watched every dribble. And I went to bed and I said, get that spirit off of you. That's not the spirit that controls your life. That's a horseshoe on a jersey. The spirit that controls your life is a cross and a man on a cross called Jesus Christ. But if I can cheer for those boys when they're knocking down those three pointers, I can clap for Jesus this morning saying, thank you, Lord. Come on, come on, come on. If I can holler for the horn yesterday, I can cheer for Jesus today. Oh, yeah. It's the same enthusiasm for Jesus Christ. We get excited about presidential candidates. Let me tell you something. I will tell you this with no uncertainty. We're we're in trouble in November. Don't care what side of the aisle you're on. So I'll tell you who I'm going to nominate for president. Jesus Christ. I nominate Jesus for president in November. Amen. Why don't we become the spirit-filled church that God wants us to become? Why don't we see things ideally because when the spirit of God is on us, we're not conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind in Jesus Christ. Clap your hands and say amen to that. (laughs) The revolution is that people no longer kept their place, but they no longer stayed in the pigeonholes that the world placed them in. They refused to conform to the hugeness of their vision, to the smallness of the world. In fact, Ruth Gordon said, "Never face the facts unless you're ready to forget them." Here's what I want to tell you: Christians are the same way. You've got to, you got to, you, 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 you got to face facts, but you got to forget them. How many know that the Lord's brought you a long way? He's brought you a long way. You know what I love about Christians? No matter what their past is, they just keep going. They never give up. People say you're naive, you're too idealistic, it's just a dream, it'll never happen. You'll never see that heaven, you'll never see that new earth, you'll never see what God has for you. But they keep on going because their lives have a goal now that was greater than this world and they have committed themselves to embark on the journey toward that goal, Amen. toward that prize. It's what Paul said to the Philippians, he said, I am not yet what I'm going to be, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own I'm wrapping down now. I'm, I'm on a downwind leg, but let me preach. There is a phrase now called inventing yourself. There's also a phrase called reinventing yourself. If you don't like what you invented, just reinvent it. It's primarily for politicians, which reminds me of the story of the politician who concluded his speech by saying, these are the principles upon which I stand, and if you don't like these, I have some more. It's true. We can invent ourselves. But it's also true we can reinvent ourselves. Which simply means that I can be the person, stay with me now, that I choose to be. I can be the person that I choose to be. We pattern ourselves after images that are presented to us in the heavenly culture. That's why made Don Quixote the ridicule of the people in his time. Because the image he chose to be, the image of a knight... That represented the age of faith. The image of courage and gallantry was no longer popular. He was the defender of noble causes. Nobody was doing that anymore. Can I get a church to rise up and say we'll, st- we'll still defend the nobler cause in this world? Can I get a church to say that? See, there's a, there's a culture of narcissism that says the images out of which Americans invent themselves are gotten through advertisement. It's presented to us through mass media. We've got shoes now from a basketball player that cost $650. That's the Jordan shoe. Now, I love Michael, but I ain't going to buy one of his shoes for $650. I'm going to get them on sale at Target one day. <laughs> we adapt to models, movie stars, television personalities. We seek to be what advertising tells us to be. And that's what makes Christians look like losers to Ted Turner and to others because we seek a higher standard. Than what this world's narcissism can put on us We seek something higher Something greater As it was put in the first letter of John It has not yet appeared what we shall be But we know that when he appears We shall be like him For we shall see him as he is To be a Christian folks Means we pattern our life after Jesus We're to be like him He said I am the way I am the truth And I am the life Can I tell you he is my life Hallelujah He is my life That's who I'm going to emulate. One man said it this way. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you odd. But those who have seen the vision, the idealistic part of what Jesus can do in our life, know what life is all about now. Life is not about adapting to this world. Life is about striving for a better world. It is the seeking that makes us all, makes it all worthwhile. So, The Man from La Mancha, the Broadway musical that was adapted from the novel Don Quixote, Quixote is accused of being mad because of his vision and the quest he goes on that nobody else can see. But he can see. And he replies this way watch this now, listen to this great statement. Madness is to see life as it is, not as it's supposed to be. I'm not mad. People not like me are mad because I see life as it's supposed to be, not as it is. Somebody needs to preach to young people in this hour. It's time to get your vision going strong. We need some visionary young people. We need some old people that still know how to dream. Isaiah 65 said it this way, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered. Nor shall there be weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. They shall not build in another inhabit. That means I'm referring to armies. They shall not labor in vain. That replies to losing everything that you have worked for all your life. Or to bear children for calamity. Every generation in this century has borne children to fight Wars. You know that's true. Isaiah called it a peaceful kingdom. I believe with all my heart that as a pastor of this church, we can have a peaceful kingdom not only in the church, but this church can absolutely turn lives around till Jesus comes with the peace of God that passes understanding. We are not conformed to this world. Say it, we're not conformed, but we're going to be transformed. Come on now, by the renewing of our mind. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Let me say it very strongly. Young men, do you still see visions? Are you still visionary? Has the world stolen your dreams and your visions? Has the world taken them away from you? I'm here to tell you on this last Sunday of January, get your vision back. Get it back in the name of the Lord. Say, devil, you might have taken it from me, but I'm getting it back. I'm not who I want to be, but I'm on my way to being the person you want me to be, Jesus. I'm going to be everything you want me to be. Listen. I've lived 2015, 2014 and I hadn't made that progress that I wanted but this year, on this last Sunday of the year I declare to the whole world that I'm going to be an idealistic child of God and I'm going to see what I can be in Jesus Christ not what the world has made me but what Christ can make me. I want to be that person. I want to rise up and walk in that life. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Hallelujah. It's about being the person that God wants you to be. And old men, keep dreaming. Don't lose your dream. Young men, don't lose your vision. Old men, don't lose your dream. Listen to me. The end time church is going to be a church that is spirit filled, that is water baptized, that has people that are dedicated to the cause of Jesus Christ. It's not going to just be a church that comes and listens and claps and goes home. It's a church that's going to live Christ every day on the streets, in the stores, on the job, in the home, in schools. You're going to live him every day. No, you're not going to go out and argue with people and say you're wrong and I'm right. Not that kind of Christianity. But the Christianity that people say what do you have that I'd like to have? You've got yeah. something. Yeah. It's more than just a personality. It's more than just favor. You've got something. What is it? You can smile at them and say, hey, 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 hey. I reinvented myself one day with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I found a better way to walk. Amen? Yeah. Clap your hands all over this house. You're an awesome people. You're an awesome people.